Welcome to the first season of Murder and 20 podcast, where I, Bobby Stevens, am your host with a new episode every Wednesday. If you're a serious fan of true crime and love listening to podcasts, but don't want all that small talk, you've come to the right place. We get right to the facts. Murder and 20 episodes are concise and complete in 20 minutes. Less talk and more true crime. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. Joshua Hilberling was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma in May 1988. It's a metropolitan city with a population of around 400,000 that borders the Arkansas River. He grew up with his parents, three brothers, and two sisters, and became a handsome young man with dark hair and dark eyes. In high school, he played football. His athletic frame stood at six foot four and 220 pounds. Amber Fields was born in Missouri in October 1991, and soon after, her family moved to Tulsa. Her parents divorced and both remarried, and she had five siblings. She had a happy childhood. Her mother and father worked hard to provide for the family. Amber excelled in school with a 4.0 grade point average, but she didn't finish high school right away. She was athletic, played volleyball and soccer. She grew into a beautiful young woman with long flowing dark hair, blue eyes, and a thousand watt smile. Amber and Josh met on Halloween night 2009, and no one in Josh's family knew that they'd started dating. After graduation, he entered the United States Air Force and did his training at the Lachlan Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas. When his parents arrived at his graduation ceremony, they met Amber and her parents for the very first time and were shocked when Amber's mother, Rhonda, announced that the kids were getting married soon. Josh hadn't mentioned a wedding to his parents, and when they asked him if he was getting married, he said no, but that Amber's mom was pushing for it. A couple weeks later, Josh was attending technical school in Wichita. Amber's mom drove her daughter to the courthouse, and on July 30, 2010, the couple were married. Josh returned to school, and Amber returned to Tulsa with her mother. In September, the couple held a wedding reception. Their wedding photo shows a happy couple smiling for the camera, her in an off-the-shoulder white wedding dress, with a veil descending from a tiara and flowing over her long, dark hair. Josh cut a dashing figure in a white tie, white shirt, white vest, with a black jacket and pants. The couple lived briefly with Amber's mom, but the mother and daughter didn't get along, and soon they left to stay with Josh's brother Scott and his wife Monica. But Amber didn't treat them very well and lashed out verbally, and Josh would apologize for her behavior. He was deployed to Alaska in October, and he hoped that things with Amber would improve. In court records, Amber claimed that Josh was addicted to OxyContin when they were dating and that he stopped when he entered the Air Force. But when they arrived in Alaska, he started using drugs again. She indicated that many of their fights stemmed from him not defending her in front of his parents 
and that Josh was abusive towards her, and even arrested once and received a three-day no-contact order from the military. In mid-December, Amber threw a steel-toed boot at Josh and fractured his finger. He called his brother, who was also in the military, for advice, and he said to report it to the security forces and to leave Amber. But Josh was hesitant to do that. She had no place to go in Alaska, and neither did he. The next day, she asked him to accompany her to a doctor's appointment. Afterwards, she told him that she was pregnant. On December 31st, Josh called his parents to wish them a happy New Year's Eve. He told them that he was excited about the baby and hoped it would be a boy, so that he could be a mini-me and be an Eagle Scout and play baseball and football. Court records indicate in his parents' letter to the court that during that phone call, Amber was upset he was talking to his parents. Then there was a lot of noise on the phone, and when Josh came back on the line, he was crying and said that she had just pushed him down the stairs. His parents told him to call military security and report it, but he wouldn't. He didn't want her and his baby to end up in jail. In early January 2011, Amber went back to Tulsa to visit with her mom, but a little over a week later, the two ended up fighting again, and Amber headed back to Alaska. An ambulance report filed with court records stated that on January 31st, medics arrived to find Josh with a 3-centimeter laceration to the right side of his head. The couple had gotten into an argument, and Amber began to slap him, and he hit his head on the corner of the wall. He then left their residence, went to a neighbor's, and called 911. The couple attended marriage counseling for a brief time at the Air Force Base, but Amber stopped going after a few sessions, saying she wasn't the one that needed it. Josh continued to see the therapist alone. Court records indicated that on April 29th, Josh and Amber were fighting. She reportedly had lashed out at him and told him he wasn't the baby's father. This hurt and surprised Josh. Amber went outside, but it was very cold out. So Josh followed her to the porch and asked her to come back inside. When he returned inside and sat on the couch... Amber told him that's where he'd be sleeping. Then she pushed a lamp towards him that resulted in three deep cuts to the right side of his head. Josh fell to the ground and noticed he was bleeding substantially and called 911. When the paramedics arrived, he didn't want to get Amber in trouble, so he told them that he had fallen. At the hospital, he received 11 stitches and 10 staples to close the wounds. Amber immediately flew back home to her mother in Tulsa. Three days later, Josh had a change of heart and filed a complaint with the police. And I quote in his words, I decided to come in and report it. In case, I felt that this is going to continue to happen and I'm scared for the baby. 
and I just want to be finished with the marriage, and I'm done making excuses for her. Josh made the decision to leave the Air Force. In his parents' letter to the court, they described how as part of his discharge, he had to check out of each department, including his therapist. And that the therapist gave Josh some advice. He was warned of the tactics Amber would try to get him back, and that she would get angry, and then if that didn't work, she would become pitiful and make him feel sorry for her and that if he fell for her manipulation, that one day, she would kill him. But Josh thought that wasn't possible. He returned to Tulsa, was happy to be around his family and friends, and had plans to return to school and become a registered nurse. On May 10th, Josh filed for an order of protection in the Tulsa courts. In it, he stated her height as 5'6 and weight 185 pounds, and that they had been married nine months and were no longer living in the same household. He requested that Amber not come within 300 yards of him. He describes the January and April incidents and mentions other times where he did not file a police report, and I quote, She has assaulted me other times, by punching me in the face, busting my lip open. She has thrown her phone at me, my steel-toed boots at me, and fractured my finger. Josh told his parents he was getting a divorce. When Amber was served with the order of protection, she and her mother showed up at Josh's and attempted to make him feel guilty for leaving his pregnant wife. He gave in to their pressure, and decided to give their marriage another try. And on May 24th, when he didn't appear in court, the case was dismissed. There were rumors that Amber was doing drugs while pregnant, and he hoped that living together, he could stop her from harming the baby. Her mother had an apartment she'd rented for her son at the University Club Towers, apartment number 2509, on the 25th floor of a high-rise. It was a unique round 32-story building that was 46 years old. She moved him out, and Amber and Josh moved in. On June 7th, the couple finally agreed that their lives were heading in different directions and that they would get a divorce. Amber was 21 years old and 7 months pregnant and preparing to leave the apartment, and so was Josh. He packed his bags, put them by the door, and at 3.30 p.m. called his dad to pick him up. He told him that he couldn't take it anymore. He wasn't able to stop her drug use, and he could no longer watch it. His dad desperately wanted him out of the relationship, but he couldn't leave work early, and he wasn't off until 5.30 so Josh said he'd find someone else to pick him up. But that didn't happen soon enough. Amber was in the bedroom preparing to do laundry and was removing his clothes from the laundry basket, which angered Josh. He grabbed the basket and threw it at the window, and the window broke. Amber contacted the apartment manager immediately and a repair person was sent over right away. 
Court records indicated that when Armando Rosales arrived, he sensed that the couple had been arguing. He discussed the cost for the $150 repair, and they worked out who would be paying. It was now 4 p.m., and Amber and Josh left Armando to work on the bedroom window and moved into the living room. They were standing two to three feet in front of the window. Amber says they began arguing again. However, Armando doesn't recall hearing voices. She said Josh reached out and grabbed her shoulders, digging in his fingernails. She reacted in self-defense and pushed against his chest. Josh tripped backwards and fell into the big picture window. The glass exploded as his body passed through it into the open air. She ran to the empty window frame and looked down, just in time to see her husband hit the parking garage 17 floors below. Armando heard the glass breaking and Josh screaming, then sound of a commotion. He waited a short time, then hearing nothing, went into the living room. He was alone. Then Amber came rushing back into the apartment through the front door, shouting, My husband fell out the window. I pushed him. He's probably dead. As Josh's body fell, what must have been going through his head those few seconds it took for him to hurl through the air? The fear he must have felt. Did he close his eyes before his body slammed into the garage? Amber and Armando raced to the elevator and went down to the eighth floor where Josh's body lay broken. Amber stated again, I pushed him through the window. And she asked, Is he dead? Police arrived to find Josh deceased. Josh was 23. The Daily Oklahoman reported, Amber was visibly upset and told multiple emergency personnel that she had pushed her husband out of the window. A member of the fire department would later testify that she had said she did not want to get into trouble and did not want to go to jail, and that she didn't mean to do it. She didn't mean to push him out of the window. And a police detective testified that he heard her say, I killed Josh, and that she stole his life away. Police surveyed the scene, then went up to the apartment and talked to Amber. The window Josh had fallen from was around 45 inches wide and 51 inches tall. The glass was gone, revealing an open hole on the wall. The vertical blinds appeared to have been closed, its center slats missing, with the remaining ones fluttering in the wind. They brought her to the police station, and a detective asked her for a statement. At this time, she was not in handcuffs and not under arrest. Amber stated that her mother was getting her legal counsel and she did not wish to make a statement. Amber had immediately called her grandmother, and she was with her in the interview room. She said that she pushed him, and her grandmother told her to stop saying that. Amber told her that as he was falling through the window, her last thought was, 
Please catch yourself. And she wondered if he said a prayer or cursed her name. She was sobbing and told her that Josh's parents were right. They kept saying that if we stayed together, I'm going to kill him. Her grandmother cautioned her not to talk to police and to wait for her lawyer to arrive. Neither Amber or her grandmother knew that police were recording their hour-long conversation. A little after 7 p.m., a police officer and a chaplain arrived at Josh's parents' house. Without a word, they knew. They asked if Amber had killed him and were told yes. The next day, Amber was arrested and booked for second-degree murder. Her bond was posted at $250,000, and within 24 hours, she was released. Three weeks later, on June 27, Amber was charged with second-degree murder. And two months after her husband's death, their son Levi was born. Amber failed tests for marijuana while out on bond. She also allowed the battery in her ankle monitor to die. A judge revoked her bond and she returned to jail to wait for trial. Before Amber went to trial, much of it was tried in the court of public opinion. Her family presented Josh as the aggressor. His family would say that it was Amber. Experts spoke about how men can be victims of domestic violence as well as women, and that it was common for couples to both participate in the violence. Amber's attorney tried to get the video of her conversation with her grandmother thrown out as evidence, but it was denied. Before her trial began in March 2013, she had been offered a number of plea deals, including one that offered a five-year sentence with 15 years probation. Amber turned down all the plea deals. She took the witness stand in her own defense. She professed her love for her husband and stated that she did intend to push Jaws, but she didn't intend to kill him by pushing him out of a window. The Tulsa World reported that a window expert testified for the defense as to the poor condition of the window glass in the apartment and that it shouldn't have broken so easily, and that it was too weak. He said the single-strength glass was 0.092 of an inch thick, and is commonly used in small windows or picture frames, but not in high-rise buildings. The prosecution pointed out that this expert was not an engineer or an architect, and did not have a college degree in glass construction. So they called a different glass expert to the stand, who was an engineer and consultant in architectural glass. He believed that the glass was suitable for a high-rise building, and that it would still comply with the building code today. The defense and prosecution rested after three days of testimony. The jury deliberated for only three hours. On Monday, March 18th, Amber was found guilty of second-degree murder. The jury recommended a 25-year sentence. Amber appeared stunned at the verdict. A month later, the judge agreed with the jury's recommendation Oklahoma has an 85% law. That means Amber would serve a minimum of 21 years in prison before being eligible for parole. 
Amber appealed, but it was denied. In December 2015, Dr. Phil McGraw of the TV show Dr. Phil traveled to the Mabel Bassett Correction Center in McLeod to speak with Amber. She believed that the jury should have heard more about the abuse she endured in the marriage and that her attorney lacked criminal court experience and that she didn't know that at the time. She also didn't know how the justice system worked and thought that he was doing his best. Her parents had wanted her to fire him, but she didn't have the heart to do it. During her almost five years in prison, Amber tested twice for legal drugs, including meth. Around 5.20 p.m. on October 24, 2016, Amber was found hanging from the bunk bed in her cell. Correctional officers took her down and tried to revive her, but at 5.33 p.m., she was pronounced dead. Her autopsy later found traces of meth in her system, and her death was ruled a suicide. Now two families grieve the loss of their child. As of this writing, Amber's family is raising Levi, and Josh's family have never met their grandson. Thanks for listening to Murder in 20 with less talk and more true crime. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Jack Unterweger, a charismatic serial killer. Behind bars for murder, he became an acclaimed writer and it brought him fame within the prison walls, so much so that officials declared he was rehabilitated and released him early. Hear how he had fooled everyone. His killing spree claimed 11 more lives in seven months and spanned two continents. If you're dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderin20.com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon. PayPal, or Murder20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music, sound effects from Vaseline Studios and Quick Sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers. <laughs>